Friends, welcome back to the Ransom Tar Podcast. John Eldridge here in the week of March 23rd. And instead of jumping back into the series that we have been doing on Expecting the Wonderful, we just felt that a little more conversation, a little bit more direction and guidance in navigating the very historically unique moment that we are all living in right now would be helpful. Last week, I did a Facebook Live event designed to be around Get Your Life Back, but what I preceded it with was some thoughts on the hour that we're living in and some really important counsel and direction that I just thought would be helpful to you. So we're going to share that with you as this week's podcast. I think you're going to really find it helpful. I really want to start this evening with just some thoughts about where we are and what it means for us. And the first thing I want to speak to, actually, I I haven't heard many people speaking to yet, and it is just to acknowledge the overwhelming stress of this. Like, are are you aware of how stressful this is, even for rooted and grounded and even-keeled people? It's still super stressful, gang, because we are all navigating now a daily new reality and, you know, going from certain restrictions to more and, and then, you know, some places like San Francisco on, you know, shelter at home now and all that's going on in the world. And that's super stressful. Like change is stressful. New normals is stressful. Uncertainty is stressful. And this is probably kind of the first that any of us have done this in our generation in our generations, and I just want to name a kindness to you. This is stressful. And what I want to ask you is, what are you doing with the stress? Like, first off, how are you handling the stress? Are you like stress eating? Or are you like trying to get control of your world? Of course, the allure is like, get online and get every last report, get every latest bit of news, and so stay hyper-plugged in because we think that knowledge is our security. So anyway, just to be aware, This is super stressful. And the things that I want to talk about in a moment this evening are really designed to help us be in a much better place and help our souls be well. So it's super stressful. And how are you doing with that? And what will you do with the stress that you're feeling? The second thing I want to talk about for a moment is there are a couple things spiritually going on on the earth right now that you may or may not be aware of, um, but I'll guarantee you it's affecting your experience affecting your humanity, your life with God, your day-to-day. So years ago, Dallas Willard mentions in The Spirit of the Disciplines, a famous UCLA lab experiment, famous little white mice that they seem to use in those. And the investigators were trying to discover the fatality level of amphetamines in mice. Uh, How much speed does it take to kill a cranked-up mouse? But you've got to have your stable population, and then you introduce into that, you know, some of the the drugged mice. And so here's what happened. They found the level, you know, at which, like, the mice start freaking out and running around, and they're on speed, and, you know, it's madness, and they start dying. Here's the thing. Mice in the experiment that were not drugged started running around and freaking out and dying. Like, they were going off like popcorn. The untreated mice were. 
And that is a really, really good reminder of what it's like to live in a world, live in a culture, like the cultural effects of everybody freaking out. And so you know the enemy is an opportunist, right? And you know that when large groups of people begin making agreements around anything, and particularly destructive things, like he is on that and is gasoline on the fire and the fear. So just to name the fear on the planet right now. Several years ago, some of you followed the stories that we had two really major fires here in Colorado. We had the Waldo Canyon fire. And before that, by several years, we had the, the Heyman fire. And, and I remember living in the city and the effects of fire and fear and smoke and everyone in the town watching it. So just to live in a smaller size city, about 500,000 people here, everybody nervous, everybody fearful, it was suffocating. Now think of what is happening when billions do that. Like you are living in a moment where billions of people are making huge agreements with fear and panic and uncertainty and speculation and self-preservation, and that's awful. I'm not a fearful person by nature, but this morning at 2 a.m., I was awoken to fear, and fear was just sweeping over me, and it's the warfare of the world that's trying to get in, and so I really want to help you with that because we don't need to live under fear, God says, in Timothy, that he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. In Romans 8, he says, you've not been given a spirit that leads you in slavery to fear again. You've been given a spirit of sonship and daughtership to God. Like, you're good. So fear is not our inheritance and fear is not our normal. Even if we struggle, maybe with anxiety, it's still not our created normal. Like we are sons and daughters of God. We are safe in his love. But when you have this world situation, let me just give you a little counsel on that. Galatians 6.14, we are crucified to the world through the cross of Jesus Christ, and the world is crucified to us. And you will find it very helpful to reject the fear, to break agreements with the fear, to bring the cross of Christ between you and a world gone mad, just so that, you know, white mice chaos can't sweep over you, can't come into your home, your household, your family, your reality, your realm, because there is huge warfare, spiritual, you know, foul spirits of fear that are sweeping through the planet and it's brutal. I've been under it, and I know it's not mine, but here's the thing. It does look for the open door, and so I could feel the fear probing me, trying to get me to go with it, trying to get me to, Gadzooks, what's happened to my retirement account? I don't even want to look right now and all that, right? But here's what it found in me. I was entertaining a fear that I was not walking well with Jesus in this moment. I wasn't hearing well, I wasn't dialed in, and, and, and there was a, just a scrambling inside of me, and the fear found it, and you know, suddenly I am experiencing fear. But I've had enough experience with this years and years and years to know that's not mine 
Like that, that warfare is coming from the world. And so just declaring the truth, God has not given me a spirit of fear, announcing the scripture, bringing the cross of Christ between me and the world and all of its chaos. Paul says we are citizens of heaven. And so I'm literally praying things like, I bring the cross between me and the world. I reject its fear. I reject its panic, its scrambling, its speculation. I reject it. I banish it from me. I banish it from my household. I am a citizen of heaven. I am a member of the household of God and I reject fear. And it's been really, really helpful. But see, the other thing you have to do is you do need to close those doors. And so for me, I had to circle back around and go, right, I am entertaining certain fears. I want to close those doors, maybe through repentance, maybe through breaking agreements, like no to fear. It's like living in a submarine right now. And around us, the ocean is the pressure of the world right now and the fear trying to get in, and that's a lot of pressure and it's a lot of stress. You don't want any leaks in the submarine. Like you really wanna close all doors to fear. And then I would add to that to speculation. We all need the news. We need to know what's going on. We need to know if there's new restrictions in our cities or states or nations. We need to know if there's new testing available or when vaccines become, you know, there's, there's important news. But gang, you don't want to live on that. You do not want to live on that because staying in that keeps you in the world and gets you spun up. So get in, get your news, get out. Because the other thing that's letting fear in, and this is my last comment on this, is speculation. Like, where's it going? What's happening? I wonder what's next. You know, click, 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 click. And that speculation will actually open you up to fear because it's a kind of worry, it's a kind of what's next, what's next for our community or our sports league or air travel or speculation is not helpful. So I wanted to refresh us first tonight with Matthew 6 in light of fear and speculation. Jesus is speaking and he says, that's why I tell you not to worry about your life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear? Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why do you worry about clothing? He goes on about the lilies of the field. So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? When can we travel again? You know, all that. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom first above all else. Live righteously, and he'll give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow. It's that speculation. Don't worry about that. Tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Okay. And then the last thing I want to say, kind of, this is all by way of prologue and welcome to everybody who's just joining us here. This is week two of a four week conversation around soul care and soul resiliency and being well, and then particularly in an hour like ours. So 
if you're just catching up with us, I'm just trying to offer a little bit of counsel about our moment and what a crazy, crazy moment it is. And like being rooted and well, and then we'll go into some care of the soul and then we'll have a conversation. I'll be able to, to look at some of your questions tonight. But the other thing I felt really compelled just as a father in the faith to you is, are you aware that in the past couple of years, death has been released on the earth in very significant ways? I'm referring to demonic spirits of death. And if you have heard us teaching on this, we've mentioned it on the podcast several times in our newsletter. If you've been to some of our conferences, you've heard it, but some of you haven't. And so what we became aware of, and this was way, way, way before COVID-19, literally more than a year ago, Stacy and I began to become aware of a series of experiences and agreements around letting things end, the end of things. And it was relationships that frankly matter very much to us, but there was just kind of this thing of, well, maybe that season's over. Maybe we just let that go. Maybe that's run its course. And then there were books that we were releasing. I had released a devotional last year, the first of the year. And I just thought, you know, I don't care how it goes. I think I'm done writing. I hadn't written Get Your Life Back yet. I think I'm done writing. I think I'm done with all this. I think it's over. And like we kind of suddenly woke up to this experience of it's over or the end of things or just letting things end. And then we began to pray into it. And some of you know that Stacy had a hip replacement a year ago in January. And, you know, it's a serious surgery, pretty brutal. They go in and hack off the top of your femur and, you know, pound a ceramic ball into it. And it's big, you know, it's a big deal. And I thought she was going to die. I didn't tell her that. She thought she was going to die. She didn't tell me that. And when it was over and she was back and convalescing, I'm like, hey, I'm really glad to see you. <laughs> and it was so irrational. Like, not a lot of people die of hip surgery, and we don't need to get online and have a conversation about that tonight. But I wanted you to see the irrationality of it. Stacy's a healthy woman. This is a very good procedure. Went great. She's walking again. Super. But it was death. Trying to get in through a variety of agreements, getting us to kind of go with it, and I'm not referring right now so much to physical death through the coronavirus. What you are seeing on the earth right now is massive sweeping fear and agreement with the end of things. Like, you know, school is over and that's it. Sports is over and that's it. And those things won't be recovered. Trips are being lost, you know, and companies having to lay off and like, it's real. I, I understand I'm describing very, very real situations, but you do not want to make agreements with the end of things, okay? No, because you have to be aware right now. We're in the submarine, the pressure is out there, and the enemy and the world is allowing in a great deal of fear and speculation and agreement with things just being over. It's just over. Things will never be the same, and you do not want to go with that. And so here's how we've been praying with wonderful, wonderful effects and wonderful relief. Anytime you can bring the resurrection of Jesus Christ against death in prayer, it's a very good thing to do. Romans 8, 2, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. 
has set us free from the law of sin and death, like announcing that, declaring that. Romans 5, 17, we are saved by the life of Christ. That's earlier in Romans 5. Romans 5, 17 is we reign in life through Jesus Christ. Okay, so here's how we've been praying. The river of life, the river of life that Ezekiel saw, the river of life that John saw in Revelation, the river of life that flows from the throne of God, the very life of God made available to his people, to the world. Here's how we were praying. I bring the river of life as a shield right now between me and my household and domain and death on the earth. I bring the river of life. I'm commanding this as a shield right now against all of that demonic and, frankly, physical, real death, but also all of the end of things. I mean, it's just amazing. Like even this wonderful book, It's Your Life Back, that's doing so much good already. It actually made the USA Today bestseller list when it came out six weeks ago. I'm already in the agreements of, well, that's it. That's over. This is going to be a flop. And like you see the end of things. No, 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 no. Like fear and death are trying to have a field day on the earth. Many people are making agreements with it, which is adding to the froth and the chaos. But we can say no. No to fear. No to death. It's confidently in Jesus Christ. We reign in life through Jesus Christ. And so I am bringing the cross between me and the world and all of its chaos. No fear. I'm bringing the river of life as my shield now against death on the earth. No, not in my kingdom. And those simple things are proving really, really, really helpful. So the timing of this and your hearts and ours and everybody being well, I just had to share that by way of prologue tonight. Now I want to share a couple things around caring for the soul in this hour, and then we'll have some conversation. Some of you are deep into the book and really enjoying it. And if you haven't gotten a copy, you might want to do that because it'll make this a richer experience. And Besides, it's going to be like super good for your soul, but you don't have to. That's not a requirement to be my friend. So let me transition using Jeremiah 17, beginning in verse five. And he's contrasting two types of human experience. And and you just listen to this, like in the context that we're in right now. And it's like, whoa, Jeremiah says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in parched places in the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But contrasted with blessed, happy, joyful, is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Listen to this description. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots into the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought, and it never fails to bear fruit. 
Like the resiliency of that is so exquisite. The poetry of that is so exquisite. But the human experience of being well and filled with life and not withering and not shaken by the latest news report or turn of events, as opposed to those who are so caught up in the world, they're just, they're dying. They're in a drought. They're just, you know, they're shrinking up. They're a bush in the desert. We don't want to be bushes in the desert. We want to be those trees that are rooted in the river of God, in the life of God, and therefore evergreen. So that was the purpose of writing the book. And what these practices are all built around is in a normal life, right here and now, without having to, you know, become monastic or build a cabin in the mountains and live off the grid, you know, in a normal life that's dealing with all that we're dealing with, how do we cultivate, how do we find resiliency? Like that's, that's the quest, resiliency for this hour, because the scriptures make it very clear, it's doable. Like you can be resilient in this hour, Jesus in this moment is actually very well. He's quite happy. He's good. And we can have that settled wellness in our being. So three thoughts on that tonight. I'm just going to say something about chapters three, four, and seven. And I'll do it a little more briefly tonight than I did it last time to leave more time for questions. Chapter three is about the power of beauty to heal the soul. And I just want to read this. I'm describing... A couple of experiences, uh, Stace and I and some of the team were in the UK several years ago on this whirlwind tour, and it was 19 events in nine days. I know, it was self-inflicted madness. And I was fried. I was fried. And it was too much city and too much noise and too many planes and rental cars, and I needed solace. And we had an afternoon off, and Stacy had gone ahead of me to find the cathedral in this lovely little English town, and she says, come to the cathedral. Here's what I write. As soon as I entered the garden-like grounds, I began to feel better. Grass, flowers, trees. I stepped into the sanctuary and found myself alone. Coolness, soft colored light filtered down through the stained glass windows. The heavy stone structure held out every bit of city noise. Far up in front, hidden from view, the chapel choir was practicing. So you've just got these incredible arias coming and these heavenly, heavenly melodies. I say this, it was heavenly and thus it was healing. Heaven always heals. Beauty heals. Partly because it proclaims that there is goodness in the world and that goodness prevails or is preserved or will somehow outlast all harm and darkness. As the Harvard professor of aesthetics. Elizabeth Scarry writes, she says, the moment of perceiving something beautiful confers on the perceiver the gift of life. A couple more thoughts. Most of all, beauty reassures. Beauty reassures. This is especially important in our search here for the grace beauty offers our life with God. We need reassuring. Beauty reassures us that goodness is still real in the world, more real than harm or scarcity or evil. Beauty reassures us of abundance, especially that God is absolutely abundant in goodness and in life. 
Beauty reassures us there is plenty of life to be had. I believe beauty reassures us that the end of this story is wonderful. The French Impressionist Matisse said this. He repeatedly said that he wanted to make paintings so serenely beautiful that when one came upon them, suddenly all problems would subside. And so in this hour, getting beauty back into your life, noticing beauty when it comes to you. God has saturated the world with beauty. We're absolutely swimming in it. You know, it's the sunlight in the window. It's the frost on the window pane. It's city streets at night in a rain. It's people's faces, people's hands. It's trees and music and fabric and candlelight, like steam coming off the cup of coffee in the morning. Like it is everywhere. What we need to do in this moment of soul care and resiliency is let beauty into your soul. I don't think I can like say this strongly enough. Let beauty into your soul. When it comes to you, you receive it for the gift. You don't go, oh yeah, that's nice. You receive it. Father, I receive this beauty for the gift that it is. And I let it into my soul. We had a freezing rain last night here in the Springs and I came out this morning and all the juniper bushes were coated in absolute crystal. And it was extraordinary. And the way that it had happened, I'd never seen this texture before. And I just went out and just like let it speak to my haggard soul. So the practice of beauty. And then chapter four is entitled Simple Unplugging. And I just wanna share a few thoughts around that, particularly in this moment, because here's what's happened. We were already way too plugged in, like, you know, nine hours a day on our phones and 10 hours a day of media and three hours using apps and like way over the top plugged in, which is super unhelpful for your soul. And now it's like times more, you know, because we need to be in a lot of ways. And now a bunch of us are telecommuting and people are working from home or you're trying to get church experiences online and good for you, by the way. And fellowship experiences online, and good for you, by the way, we're doing this right here, online, okay, way to go. But at some point, you gotta get out of that. You gotta get out of that. You, you need to just make some simple boundaries, or now we will live a completely digitized existence, okay? So a few simple things. Don't check your phone first thing in the morning. Like, that's everybody's habit now, especially now but you actually don't have to first thing. Leave your phone face down on the counter and make that cup of coffee and look out that window and let the beauty come to you and just be human. Get to be human and not live your life now in a completely digitized space. Not good. And particularly kids now. So everybody's home and so everybody's online, right? And now it's movies online and you know all that. And that's okay, that's okay, this is our moment. But you really wanna make some choices to do real things. The soul needs to do real things. Listen to music, read a real book, not a digitized experience. Like a really great experience of the reality is cook again. Learn to cook again. Teach your kids to cook now that they're home and driving you crazy, like to chop onions and measure spices and make a chicken soup is actually a very soulfully wonderful experience. 
engaging real things. Do a puzzle, take a walk, ride a bike. Like you can still get outside in most places. It's so important to just realize, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like we are more digitized now. We are more online now than we ever were. Not good, not good for the soul, not good for resiliency. And it adds to the speculation, fear, chaos, because you're you know, sucked into that. Do real things like my choice today. I got on a little early tonight to make sure the technology was working. And I was saying I had two choices right before this. And one was to get my act together and get my thoughts and my notes and my quotes and stuff. And the other was to take a walk. And I made a really good choice and I took a walk because that's what my soul needed. It just needed to get out into the real and find God. So just simple choices to unplug. And then, you know, what Stace and I are doing, and I mentioned this last time, like in the end of the day, like there's a no technology time in your house and all media goes off and you just, you get to unplug and you get to be real people again. But then I wanted to say, uh, right before we go to Q&A here, I wanted to say something about the chapter on Get Outside because the World Health Organization came out with a report that we spend 93% of our lives indoors now. 93% of our lives indoors. And then when you add to that, that most of that time is probably spent on technology. Like whatever happened to reality? I mean, this is not... This is not the life Adam and Eve were created for. And so let me just read from this page. I say, in response to the 93% figure, this is a catastrophe. The final nail in the coffin for the human soul. You live nearly all of your life in a fake world. Artificial lighting instead of the warmth of sunlight or the cool of moonlight or the darkness of night itself artificial climate rather than the wild beauty of real weather. Your world is always 68 degrees. All the surfaces you touch are things like plastic and nylon and faux leather instead of meadow, wood and stream, fake fireplaces, wax fruit. The atmosphere you inhabit is now asphyxiating with artificial smells, mostly chemicals and air fresheners, instead of cut grass, wood smoke, salt air. Is anyone weeping yet? In the place of the cry of the hawk, the thunder of a waterfall, and the comfort of crickets, your world spews out artificial sounds, all the clicks and beeps and whir of technology, the hum of the HVAC. Dear God, even the plants in your little bubble are fake. They give no oxygen. Instead, the plastic off-gasses toxins. And if that isn't a signal fire, I don't know what is. This is a life for people in a science fiction novel. This would be understandable, acceptable, if we'd colonize Mars and by necessity you lived in a bubble. But this is not the life God ordained for the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve, whose habitat is this sumptuous earth. It's like putting wild horses in a styrofoam box for the rest of their lives. What can you do to be resilient in this hour? Drink in beauty, unplug as much as you can from technology, and get outside when you can with social distancing. But it's doable. You can take a walk. You can sit in the backyard. You can sit on your deck or on the rooftop. Like, 
letting reality back in, letting it heal your soul. Resiliency. Okay, so those are my thoughts. And now we're gonna kind of do a little bit of dialogue here. And I just wanna say, I'm so sorry. I won't be able to get to every question. I'm really sorry. And last week, there was a dear woman online who was so upset because I missed her question. And it's a scroll, it's a feed. They disappear into the feed. And so I'm sorry. I'm sorry ahead of time. Forgive me ahead of time. The guys here are helping me, but it, you know, it's a lot. And so I'll do my best. Rayanda, what a pretty name. How to keep the balance with kids home, working full time as an RN and stress, right? So if you haven't downloaded the app, the one minute pause, please do that. This is honestly the most helpful thing I could hand to you in a quick answer. We developed a free app, iPhone and Android. It's on the app store. It's called the one minute pause because it, it allows you just a moment of like centeredness and calm and healing your union with God because of the stress and because of where we are now. And this is, this is a lot of people's situations. Working mom, suddenly now you have the kids home and, and what do you do with all that? Let me give you a couple more things. Name it, name it out loud. In your car or on your commute or you know, in a closet, probably not in front of the kids. But name it out loud, like, because there's a lot of research that shows that simply naming your situation helps to reduce the stress on you. So like, this is hard and I don't like this. And what the, am I supposed to do? Like name it, name it, give it voice. Let your heart just express itself. And then last time we were together, we talked about benevolent detachment and you release it. God, I can't carry this. I can't carry any of this. I have to release it to you. And that's that chapter in the book called Benevolent Detachment, like really learning to release it. And the app will help you do that. The app like guides you through benevolent detachment. Okay, Ray, everywhere I go, I feel the spirit of overwhelming fear. Yep, how do I bring the kingdom and its atmosphere as I try to go about life as normal as possible? Okay, so you've got, you got two things. And, and I'm so glad I, we came back to this because there's more that I wanted to say. The cross of Christ, the work of Christ, bring the work of Christ between you and the world. Reject its fear. It is a real thing. It is this agreement of like massive human fear out there and it is demonic. And like we reject fear. Most of us are probably gonna have to do that on a daily basis right now, maybe multiple times a day. So there is a very direct spiritual practice of I reject this fear. I reject fear. I bring the work of Christ between me and the world and I do not partner with or make agreements with its fear. Because you have to establish like the boundaries of your personal kingdom first. Like you gotta have ground to stand on. And back to the hospital, when everybody else is stressed out, you're just praying, I reject this stress. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. You're just quietly, Rhyonda, just saying, I reject this stress. You can't, you can't overwhelm me, I forbid it. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. You do not stress me out, God. Like really pushing back against it helps you get some space, okay? But then Ray was also asking about the atmosphere. I think in this hour, I think the main thing we invoke in this hour is love and peace. I would not try and change the world with your prayers right now because you kind of get caught up in the fight and you gotta be very, very careful about that. Um, but here's what you can do is we command peace into this situation. We invoke love into this situation. 
peace in my neighborhood, peace in my office, if anybody's in an office anymore, you know, peace into the world. Yeah, you can invoke that. Invoke the love of God. That'll do great good. Chris, what is fear based in? Well, primarily uncertainty. But there is a fabulous passage in Hebrews chapter 2 where it says that Jesus Christ, having become human, set us free. It says, set free all of those who through their lives were slaves to the fear of dying. We have no fear of dying, okay? The fact of the matter is that the coronavirus has changed absolutely nothing about the mortality rate on this planet. Do you understand? Everyone dies. So there's no death increase, okay? Everyone has a limited life. Everyone does. Not till the return of Christ and the coming of the kingdom are we immortal. Right now, everybody passes through that. So it hasn't like increased it, but the fear of it is gripping people. And this is where we get to shine. This is where we get that first Peter experience of people saying, wait, tell me the reason for the hope that lies within you. Because like no fear. There's no fear of death. Nothing of what you think of as like death happens to you. You step right into the presence of Jesus and into the kingdom of God. And when he returns, your beautiful resurrected body and this wonderfully resurrected planet, and your, your life just carries on, guys. Like you, you have a wonderful future. Okay, share. How do we bring the cross between us and others? So the cross of Christ is so rich and powerful and does so many important things. Among those things is it, it breaks unhealthy emotional ties between people, what you might call soul ties, unhealthy spiritual bonds. But you do have to like exercise it because people want to throw their stuff on you or sometimes we, you know, throw our stuff on them or we get into unhealthy alignments with people. And so I remember back as I was a therapist and had a private practice when I would finish counseling at the end of the day, I would bring the cross of Christ between me and each of my clients because I didn't want their fear jumping on me or their rage jumping on me or their reality and their spiritual warfare jumping on me. So how you do that is you literally pray, I keep the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ between me and my mom, between me and my office, between me and my patients. I keep the cross of Christ there. And I allow only the love of God between us, only Jesus between us. It's really helpful. And you can do that now with the world too. It's, it's very relieving. Bernard, how should we be feeling right now as Christians? Well, here's a fun exercise. I would ask Jesus how he's feeling. <laughs> because you might, you might get more out of that than me telling you. But Stacy and I have been in quite a bit of prayer lately, as we all have. And We've been pushing into how should we be praying, and that's where love and peace, okay, we can do that, and, and asking for instructions and getting our counsel. You know, we want to we be tight, like walk closely with God right now. John 10, my sheep hear my voice, they follow me, and I lead them to life. In the Psalms, David says, you have made known to me the path of life. So we stay tight, we stay close, but I mentioned this on the podcast um, the Ransom Art podcast this week would really be worth listening to as well. It's, it's wonderful. On the podcast, I mentioned anything 
that looks like the birth pangs of Matthew 24, anything that does kind of feel like, whoa, like what's going on, you know, on the earth, actually ought to be a source of uh, excitement to the Christian. Because anything that reminds us of the imminent return of Jesus, each day, each hour, we are closer and closer, friends. Like, this is the end of the age. It is. And whether that means, you know, immediately or 30 years out, but it's not 500. It's not 500, gang. It's not 200. Okay, we are really, really close. And so, like, excited, joyful, confident, well, like, Though the mountains be shaked and thrown into the heart of the sea, we will not be shaken because I have set the Lord before me. Will not be shaken. I think Jesus is actually very joyful right now. Danny, where's the line between worrying and taking responsible logical action, i.e. canceling church services to avoid spread of contracting the coronavirus? I've had people say that doing that shows a lack of faith. Yeah, well, we don't want to do anything out of fear. So internally, we just kind of always checking day to day. I reject fear. Reject it. Renounce it. And, and some of you are going to have to like do that really robustly, more than I'm guiding us through right now. Like, you're going to really need to say, I reject this fear. I really do. And I choose the love of God and the peace of Christ. In fact, when Jesus says in John 14, by the way, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid, He's reminding us that we have a choice. We shepherd our hearts, you guys. Fear and worry are not inevitable. Worry is not a given, okay? It's not. Like, you shepherd your heart. You shepherd what you let in. You shepherd your heart's experience, and we shepherd it continually back to Christ. But I would say, Danny, that as we act in love, so Ransomed Heart, right now, we have a staff, It hasn't become mandatory yet in Colorado, but we've all agreed to work from home as much as possible. And we've agreed with social distancing and reasonable practices. Why? Out of love. Because we want to do two things. You've all heard this on, you know, uh, you want to flatten the curve so we don't overwhelm the health, you know, structure around the world because it's overwhelmed. So the more that we can slow down and stop the spread of the virus, it's it's a loving thing to do. And it's also a loving thing to do to not put naive people in positions where they might be infected. And so they might say, I don't care. You know, I, I'm going to gather and, you know, go to my pub or what sort of thing. You say, that's not, that's not a loving thing to do. As your friend, I need to say, you probably ought to stay home tonight. Okay? So we're not doing it out of fear. We're doing it out of love. Clay, do you believe this situation our world is in could actually lead to another great awakening? Yeah, I do. Actually, I think it is an incredible opportunity for the gospel. I think it's the Hebrews 12 moment right at the end of Hebrews 12 where he says, I am shaking everything so that all that cannot be shaken is what remains. That which cannot be shaken is that which remains. Like I clearly this is it. And and if you have put your hopes in the world and if you've put your hopes in man and you've put your hopes in different societies, you are shaken, okay? And it's good. The world needs to be shaken. We have tons of idols and false gods and distracted alliances and affections and oh my goodness, we're a mess. People don't turn to God when things are great. People turn to God when things are hard. So yeah, 
I think that's what we should be praying for. I think we should be praying for a revelation of Christ into the earth. We pray right now for a revelation of Jesus Christ to sweep across the earth, moving like a great wave, a wave of the revelation of the love of God and the revelation of Jesus Christ. We pray that now. We invoke it into the world in Jesus' name. Amen? I do hope that was helpful. I hope that you feel with us that it was worth the interruption last week and this week just to get our bearings and just to really actually get some real specific instruction on how to pray and what to walk in in these days. And then we'll pick up next time, I promise, with the rest of the series on Expecting the Wonderful. 